thankful for the opportunity to be together today and worship God. As you see before us, our study this morning I've entitled Avoiding Vain Worship. We have a huge challenge as we live from day to day. We've got a lot of things that demand our attention or trying to get our attention. And when we come together to worship, it's very important that we stay focused on what we're doing here. And I want to look at some things this morning I hope that will help us accomplish that. We know Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And notice the result of that. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. There's a lot of information in these two verses, and we're not going to be able to cover all of the, all of the information that Jesus gives us here. But what I want us to focus on today is this idea that our worship can be vain. And we need to do everything that we can to avoid that because vain worship is very upsetting to God. You know, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. And we've got live in a world full of people that say, Lord, Lord. But he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name done many wonderful works? See, they were pretty impressed with what they had done. We've done all this great stuff for you, Lord. He said, I don't know who you are. And I want to avoid being in that position, and I hope you do too today. I hope the Lord knows who I am. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Probably the saddest words we find in Scripture. In Revelation chapter 8, you know, we find all kinds of things that we can worship in this world. And John found one. It seems like a worthy thing to worship here. And I, John, saw these things and heard them, and when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Then saith he unto me, See thou, do it not. Get up. Don't worship me, the angel says. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. Colossians 2, in verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, Let no one cheat you of your reward. Taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And that's what happens to us. 
we decide in our mind that what we want to do and what we want to offer God as worship is better than what God has asked for in worship. And that's what the warning is about, is deciding for ourselves what God wants. Vainly puffed up by our fleshly mind. It's a real danger. And I want to remind us that what we offer to God in worship matters. It makes a difference. In Genesis 4, in verse 3, we remember the story. We know the story well. Abel and Cain brought offering to God. Cain brought from the fruit of his hands. He was a farmer. He was vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. And it came, and in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Here, God, here's what I did. Never mind what you ask for, what you want. Here's what I did. And the Bible goes on to say here in Genesis 4 that God had not respect for that offering. And of course, it made him mad and he killed his brother. And you know, you, you know the story. But it all started because he decided it didn't matter what he offered to God in worship. And it does matter. It mattered then and it matters today. In Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord. Well, now that's not that big a deal. Don't be puffed up by your fleshly mind. It was a pretty big deal to God, evidently. He asked them to do one thing. They did something else. And the Bible says that fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. There's the answer to the question. <laughs> did it matter to God? Mark 7 and verse 13, the context here is the, I believe the same context from where we started over there in Matthew but what Jesus says about the people of the day were they made the Word of God of none effect. What God says to us don't make any difference. We have these traditions and our ideas that puff up our fleshly mind and we're going to offer that to God and say, look how great we are. We've done all these wonderful things for you, God. And it wasn't just one thing, because he said, Many such like things do ye. Do we hear the warning? Do we understand the warning? I hope we do. We know in John 4, Jesus says this, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers 
shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. That's what God's looking for. People that want to worship Him. And if that's our desire, if that's what we want to do, then we're going to seek out how to worship Him in truth and in spirit. We're not going to decide for ourselves what we think God should want. We're not going to decide what makes us feel good is what we're going to offer to God. We're going to try to figure out what's going to make God feel good. God is a spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's not optional. It's not optional. So I want to go through some things here, and I want to identify what the Bible reveals to us are elements of true worship. Then we're going to look at the second part of Jesus' statement. But we want to start with the truth. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us, come, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We have these opportunities to assemble ourselves together and worship God. And the writer of Hebrews is instructing that we not forsake those. There's benefit and blessing to us coming together to worship. Okay? In Luke chapter 22, on the night of His betrayal, Jesus instituted this Lord's Supper, this communion. And we have a command to do this. And He says, And He took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is My body which is given for you this do in remembrance of Me. They did that. And then He took the cup and did a similar thing. And He says, You do this in remembrance of Me. So that's why we have communion here today as part of our worship service. Now in 1 Corinthians 11, they had this little different idea about the communion at Corinth. And so Paul writes this letter to them, and he's, he covers a lot of things in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he? Well, one of the things he talks about is what they were doing with the communion. And what he says to begin with is he says, I'm not going to praise you for what you've been doing here. This is not good. So the question is, was their worship vain? Now in this I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. That's not what our worship is about. It shouldn't be making things worse. 
And that's what he says was happening there at Corinth because of what they were doing with their communion. Now notice what he says in verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. Now he's not talking about what they were supposed to be doing. He's talking about what they were doing. They had turned the Lord's Supper, this memorial into a common meal, into a feast. And it was causing all kinds of problems. And I want to be real clear. These are my words. Most of the slides I put up are Scripture, but these are my words. But I want to be real clear about this. Because I believe the the Apostle Paul here is making a very clear distinction between getting together for a meal and getting together for worship and edification, what we're here today doing. There's a difference. And he makes that distinction here. He's not telling them that it would be wrong for them to get together and have a meal together. That's not his point. His point was, is when you get together for worship, and you turn that into a common meal, you've perverted the assembly. And so when we get together and we have these, what may seem like strange rules to an outsider, we're trying to maintain the distinction that the Apostle Paul makes here. So that when we gather around this table and we commune and we remember what Jesus has done for us, that we accomplish the purpose that it was set forth to accomplish. And then when we dismiss our assembly and we go over there and have a meal together, that's a different circumstance. That's not a worship assembly over there. I hope we understand that. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul spends a lot of time in this whole chapter, and I I didn't want to read the whole chapter, so I just pulled one verse out. But he's talking about the things that we do in these type of assemblies. And there in verse 26, he says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up or edifying. That's our purpose. We want to build up. We want to edify. We want to encourage. We want to help. And when the Apostle Paul over there in 1 Corinthians 11 said, you're not coming together for the better, that's what he's talking about. They weren't doing the things that they were supposed to be doing in an assembly. And they had not come together for the better. So when we come together, we commune on Sunday morning. We have hymns, lessons, revelations. All of those things that he talks about there. Colossians 3 and verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We need to remember that verse because I want to come back to it later. 
we sing. When we get together, we sing. The song Scott led. We sing the song of the redeemed. That's one way we honor God and worship God. And we do that with grace in our hearts to the Lord. Ephesians 5, 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we sing, we pray, we preach, teach, edify, we commune, and we do those things together. And finally, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2, the apostle says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And so those are the elements of a true worship, as revealed to us in Scripture. And we can decide that that's not sufficient, or we can decide to ignore those things, or we can do what God has asked us to do. So we come together, we commune, we teach, sing, pray, and take up a collection. In Acts 19, these are not Christians, these are idolaters. But there's a principle here that I want us to think about. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another. We think we ought to do this. No, 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 we think we ought to do this. Oh, no, 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 there's another idea. Everybody's got an idea, don't they? For the assembly was confused. What are we here for? And the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. They didn't even know why they were there. So when we come together to worship God, we need to know what we're doing. I believe it was 1 Corinthians 14 where the Apostle Paul says, God is not the author of confusion. And that's what they had here. God is not the author of that. We have clear instructions. Let's follow those instructions. And let's feel good about doing what God has asked us to do. So what about the timing of all of this? Obviously, we don't commune every time we come together here, do we? Well, the reason we do this when we do it is because of Acts 20 and verse 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, that appears to be their purpose for having come together, doesn't it? And while they were together, what happened? Well, Paul preached to them. He preached till midnight. Well, why don't we preach till midnight? Well, we don't have a command to preach till, when, till, mid, 
night. We have a command to commune. The preaching till midnight is optional. Would you all like for me to preach till midnight? I don't think I could do it. I know you find that hard to believe. I don't know when, they, when their assembly started. That's not revealed to us. But do you get the point? The point is, Jesus gave us a command to commune. And we find the early day church following that command to commune on the first day of the week, the day that the Lord came forth from the grave. And so that's why we commune when we're together on the first day of the week. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were together a lot. Again, we don't have a command to be together daily, but if we want to be together daily, that might not be a bad idea. That's why we have gospel meetings and different activities where we get together more frequently. I believe the Bible gives us the authority to do that. But the command and the example to commune is on the first day of the week. The same thing about taking up a collection. Those are the two things that we're specifically instructed to do on the first day of the week. So that's why we do that. And we get together other times and worship and build each other up and encourage each other just like they did in these examples. And I know this is not an assembly passage. I get that. But the principle is exhort one another daily. And I also understand that we don't have to be together in an assembly format to encourage one another. We can do that in other ways. But it is one of the things that we can do when we're together to worship. In Acts chapter 15, I find, found this interesting. So when they were dismissed, they were in one place. They dismissed. They ended their activity. They came to Antioch. So they finished in one place. They went to another city. It doesn't say how long that took. It doesn't say what day it was. But what they did when they got to Antioch was they gathered the people together in an assembly. Gathered the multitude together. And they delivered the epistle. They delivered the letter that they had. Which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets, also themselves exhorted the brethren with many words. <laughs> I don't guess they went on midnight, but they had many words. For what? They exhorted them. They encouraged the brethren. So that's what we hope to do today when we get together. One of the things. Okay, so we've got, we've got our checklist, right? We've come together. It's the first day of the week. We're going to commune and pray and sing. and All right, we got all that done. We're good to go, right? You know, the devil don't have to keep us out of the building to keep us away from God, does he?
Because Jesus said, in spirit and in truth. So we can go down our checklist, and I'm not trying to diminish the importance of doing things correctly. But if that's all we do, folks, we've failed. We've failed. And we see people all around us in the world. They want to emphasize one or the other. We're going to do everything right. But it doesn't matter where my heart's at. We call those legalists, right? And then on the other hand, we got people, well, if you, as long as your heart's in the right place, all that other's a matter of judgment. They're both important. They're both equally important. And they're both doable. In Amos chapter 5, God says, I hate. I hate. I despise your feast days. And I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vowels. You know what they were doing? They were getting together and doing all the things that God had asked them to do. And then when they left, they were going over there and idol worshiping. Where was their heart? Where was their mind? What were they thinking about? They thought, well, we can just go do, take care of this legalistic aspect of what we're supposed to do here. And then we can go worship idols. God was not happy, and He's not going to be happy with us if when we come together and we go through our checklist and do all the things He's asked us to do, but we're thinking about other things, He's not going to be happy with us either. Ezekiel 33 and verse 31, the Bible says, They come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. Why? Because their heart was somewhere else. It was like thinking and going after covetousness. So that's why Jesus said in Matthew 15 and 8, they say the right things, but their heart is far from me. And that's our challenge today. Now, one of the things that we say frequently when we gather around this table is that, you know, we need to draw our mind in from the world. And that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. But we need to do that when we come in the building. And in every part of our worship, we need to draw our mind in from the world because that's what he's talking about. He's not talking about this thing in our chest that pumps blood. He's, where's your mind at? Where's your affection at? Where do you want to be? What do you like? Do you want to be here? 
Are you thinking about lunch or what you're going to do this afternoon? Or yada? The list is, is endless. He wants our heart. He wants our mind. That's what He wants. For as He thinketh in His heart, so is He. He's talking about where's our, what we're thinking about. What do we think about when we come to worship? In Romans chapter 15, he's talking here about unity. I, I understand that. But again, I, I want to apply the principle to our assemblies. Because he says... We need to be unified. And you know what? When we're not unified, when we come together, if we're not careful, we're thinking about, oh, so-and-so over there. We've got to be unified so that when we come together, we can with one mind. Where's our mind? Where's our mind? Is it thinking about God and what God wants and what God's done for us and how we can please God? And if we all do that, we do that together. We with one mind and one mouth glorify God. So I want to talk about this feeling thing a little more because the world is full of people that believe when they go and worship and they come away feeling good, then God is happy. And it's backwards. It's completely out of phase. We should, with one mind and one mouth, seek out what God wants from us and worship and do that and then feel good because we did what God wanted us to. Feelings should not lead our worship. They should follow. We do the right things and our feelings follow. We come to God to worship Him and we do it in spirit and in truth and our feelings will follow. They shouldn't lead. Joshua chapter 24, we read verse 15 a lot. It's a great verse, but I want to back up a verse because he says, Fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. In sincerity and in truth. And I believe it's the same idea that Jesus conveyed when He said God wants us to worship in spirit and in truth. We've got to do this sincerely. And again, sorry. Again, I believe that goes back to where's our mind? What are we thinking about? Second Corinthians nine and talking about specifically about the contribution. But he says each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So I want to ask you a question. Do we come to church knowing full well we're going to type up, take up a collection? Now, do we make a 
decision about what we're going to do, or do we just throw it out there and say, well, it just depends on how it feels when the plate gets here. Is that the way we're supposed to do that? If I have a good feeling when the plate gets here, then I'll, I'll give some. That's not what it means to give from the heart. The command is to make a plan, to think about what you're going to give. Decide in your heart. Ephesians 6 and verse 6, Not with thy service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Sincerely. Thinking about what it is He wants us to do. It's not that hard, and it's certainly not complicated. We have complicated it. People have complicated it. The devil has complicated it. We need to serve God, worship God in spirit and in truth. And let's combine those two things. Philippians 3 and verse 3, We are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Do the right things, the joy will come. Why did David say he looked forward to going up to the house of the Lord? So he could go up there and just do any old thing? No. It gives us an opportunity to come and do the things that God has asked us to do and to leave feeling good about that. And have no confidence in the flesh. The flesh is going to mislead us. It's going to take us somewhere else. It's going to make us think that we ought to be doing other things. If we do that, we're going to end up in the wrong place. And I submit that our, our worship will become vain. So as we conclude, I want to leave you with this verse. I want us to always, when we come together to worship God, to remember our purpose is to do what God wants and to do it sincerely, thinking about the value in the things that God's done for us. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. And I hope that's what we'll do every time we get together. God bless you today. Thank you for your attention. I never want to close without offering the Lord's invitation. We don't know the minds or hearts of those present, but if you have a need that you would like to put before the congregation that we can pray with you about, or if we can help you with baptism, we'd invite one or more of either group to come as we stand and sing the song Chosen.